Welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm Christian Ward, Head of Media and Marketing at Stylus, and this episode we'll be discussing a post-urban future as increasing numbers of creatives leave the city and look for new environments in which to innovate. Here to discuss this with me are Karen Rosenkrantz, author of the book City Quitters, which explores how these creative pioneers are pursuing alternative ways of living and working away from big cities. And Stephen Graves, Stylus's own senior editor of Consumer Attitudes and Technology, who believes this metropolitan exodus will be one of the big trends for this year. So first off, Karen, who are the city quitters and why are they leaving urban areas? Well, the people I portrayed in my book are all um, either creatives or entrepreneurs who left a big city and moved to a rural area with less than uh, uh, 10,000 inhabitants. And, um, well, they all uh, leave for various reasons, but they, the, my, my kind of angle was rather than portraying families or people who are kind of tired of urban life, um, uh, put, looking at people who will work creatively and set up, start something new and interesting in the countryside. So what are some of the traits that define this group? Um, I would say they're all quite independently minded and self-motivated, you know, some creatives really uh, thrive on the external pressure that you might have in a city and they need that to produce great work. But I think these people are self-motivated in the sense that they don't need that and then want more creative freedom. There's also a sense um, for for many that this idea of getting out of the system, that many feel that cities were so dependent on consumerism, on the convenience culture, that they feel like this is a very fragile system that they want to get out of. Um, and there's also, I think, a, just a desire to simplify life, um, trading in the convenience for a richer life, and that actually the realisation that you things are more um, satisfying when you solve them yourself, you know, when you have a problem rather than outsourcing it, paying someone else to do it, you you try to find a solution yourself and that's for, for many is just more satisfying. This doesn't sound like something you can do unless you have some money, <laughs> shall I say. Uh, I mean, in terms of leaving the system and getting away from consumerism, is that something that uh, only a privileged few can can achieve? I think it's rather the opposite. I think um, for many cities have become too expensive and the financial pressure is extreme, especially for young creatives. Um, They often work long hours, work multiple jobs, and then they don't have time to actually do the work that they enjoy doing or do any creative projects on the side. So I think many are forced out of cities, um, whether they want it or not, but... um, they, they can't pay the rent anymore and the cost of living is so high. So in that respect, um, what impact are they having on these areas that they move into? Um, well, Are they welcomed, for example? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, mainly yes, I would say, because I think overall there's still more people migrating away from um, rural areas, especially for education or jobs. So I think when people move back and start something new, um, a new business or a new place where people can meet, um, it's generally welcomed and people are, oh, finally something interesting is happening here. But there's also, I think it depends how people do it. There's also the sense of gentrification. 
that people think, oh, you just come here from the city and transplanted your, you know, chic lifestyle boutique to here. We actually don't need that. We've not been waiting for that sort of thing to happen here. So I think it's important to respect what's already there and the, you know, the regional nuances and kind of work with the people that are already there and be respectful of that. Um, so, yeah. Could you give us an example um, from the book, say, uh, a specific example of how this works for, for uh, a certain kind of person? Um, I think a good example is a guy called Michael Wickert. He's a fish smoker. He has a fish smoking business. And he used to be based in Berlin where he had a store in Markthalle 9 in Kreuzberg, like super trendy fish, you know, market store, and it was thriving. But he was getting really busy and said he, he actually couldn't smoke the fish himself anymore. The one thing that he enjoys the most, he was just managing the business. So he was looking for a place outside um, in the countryside to set up a business there. And He's been really careful to kind of um, work with the locals. Like he became part of a club that, I don't know, a fishing society. And he said like fishing, for example, is a very good topic to kind of, you know, talk with anybody. Um, and um, he's kind of, he became a bit of an ambassador for the area where he's kind of taking um, products that are really great products, but people don't have the means of communication. They don't have a good... Um, website and he kind of takes them and kind of tries to um, make people aware of it that, that this is there and so he's he's he he's working really he's he's really careful that he's not alienating the rural um, population he says there's so many products out there that are just too artsy or too highbrow and people don't get it or people don't want it and he he knows how to attract Berlin but people from Berlin who come there on the weekend but he also knows how to talk with a local and make them look oh, here, here's the fish i've just prepared so yeah i think he's a really interesting example as well because he's not completely disconnecting himself from the city i think some of them are literally going off into the woods um whereas he's actually forging connections between the food scene in berlin and the local area that he's moved to yeah i think that's a good point because i think it's not i mean there are a few examples of people that are that really want that kind of quite um drastic cut but i think it's not about saying oh you know cities are bad and i don't want anything to do with that anymore i think it's about exactly that kind of building a bridge and taking what you've learned and applying that somewhere else and kind of keeping a dialogue Stephen, so what's the stylist perspective on this um what impact do you think this is going to have on on product services and culture in general um, it's an interesting one because, obviously, as you mentioned, urbanisation is still the prevailing trend. So I think uh, the UN said 55% of the population lives in urban areas, and that's going to go up to 68% by 2050. Um, but within that context, um, these uh, rural areas and um, suburban and exurban areas that are suffering this population drain can become hotbeds of creativity if, uh, you know, these creative post-urban pioneers move out to them, um, start forming these local networks and bring a sort of startup mentality to the area. So some of the, the things that we're seeing that are cropping up um, to, to serve that need are things like in America, um, there's a, a billionaire um, who's founded the Rise of the Rest Seed Fund, which is basically a $150 million startup fund that's designed to sort of reinvigorate the heartland 
Um, similarly, uh, in 2017, um, the Rural Impact Hub launched again, um, aiming to sort of bring citizens and corporations t- together to reinvigorate uh, rural America. Um, and it's a global trend as well. Um, in Peru, for instance, um, for the first time since they started taking applications in 2013, the uh, Startup Peru organization brought in applications from all 25 regions. Um, so you can see that there's this sort of, I don't know, creative diaspora happening. Um, yeah, that's an interesting idea. Karen, where do you think, is, uh, in terms of the global reach of this trend, where do you think it's, it's most interesting where, where this is happening? Well, I, I mean, in my book, there's people from 12 different countries, five different continents, and I think it's, as Stephen said, really a global trend. I think um, America is maybe a, a place where this is, hap- uh, the, the US, um, where this is happening a lot. Um, also, again, because c- cities have become so expensive and they have so much land as well. Um, but I think it's really a global a global thing. I think one of the crucial factors now is that rural areas are increasingly connected. You have, you know, fibre optic broadband uh, in Cornwall. You have, um, you know, tech startups in in Wiltshire in the UK. Four um, G rolling out to all the regions. So it's um, it's possible now to run businesses um, that are either tech heavy or reliant on technology or connected. Um, and you don't necessarily have to be in the city to, mm. to do that. I think also for individuals, our working patterns have become so much more flexible. So if you work for yourself you, as a freelancer, you don't have to be you know, anywhere in the city. You can be anywhere. So uh, that's also part of it. But one thing that I found interesting also that we always, or oh, I always thought like, you know, cities are the places where the new, the coolest things emerge. You know, that's where it's happening. And I think... What I found with the book or the research for the book that cities are increasingly becoming a bit homogenous where you feel like whether you are in Shanghai or Berlin or LA that like cool areas all start to feel and look a bit the same and it's become a bit predictable. So, and I think part of it is that, that, that urban spaces are become so have become so regulated and so commercialized that no one dares to take a risk and I think one of the reasons now it's the, the rural area is becoming more interesting for creatives that you have more space for exper- experimentation. You can actually try different things. You can be a bit more out there. Whereas in the city, people are really cautious not to, you know, to risk anything. It's the perils of connectivity. Every, every hipster looks the same, regardless of whether you're in Shanghai yeah. or Shoreditch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think about part of it also as a creative, you're also constantly comparing yourself or your work to what you see so I think if you take yourself out of that context then it's actually easier to find your own voice or your own style otherwise you're always emulating whether you want it or not it's it's a subconscious thing but you're just copying a style that you see Um, and a few people said that in the book actually now I'm out of that it's much easier I trust you know, my work. But yeah, I think one of my favourite examples was uh, Brian Bosworth, who mentions, he's the LA artist, who, who mentions being, you know, that the creatives are within this bracketed system when they're inside the cities and they can't even see that they're caught in this little bubble. And it's only when you move out, I think he moved to Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. It's only when you move out of that system that you start to see that and become 
more creative as a result. That's really interesting. I mean, I, and particularly because I think a lot of our listeners um, obviously will be working for brands as, as marketers or creatives or designers. Um, there seems to be an opportunity here for, for brands to, to get involved in this trend. How, how would you guys think that that could happen? in terms of either helping to catalyze uh, uh, and support some of these city quitters or perhaps even taking on board the lessons themselves and perhaps moving out of cities um, and setting up somewhere else? Um, I think uh, there's, there's a couple of interesting examples. I mean, firstly, I think they have to help to build the infrastructure that will support these um, creatives. You know, we've mentioned that you need uh, a certain level of technological connectivity, um, you can't afford to be having your internet drop out in those regions. Um, but also uh, the infrastructure in terms of, um, you know, uh, services, um, food, shops, that sort of thing. Um, there was a very interesting one from last year. Um, it was a, a concept store called the Wheelie Moby Mart. Did you hear about this? This is a... Uh, a concept autonomous self-driving store that can that can basically uh, drive out into rural areas with a you know complete load of shopping on board and you you know buy your stuff with an app, um, which is a cute idea. I um, I wonder if it would just be waylaid by highwaymen, yeah. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> But that sort of thing is quite interesting. Uh, in Japan, there's a the MUFG Bank is um, has been showing off a, a mini ATM that can just drive into um, various areas. So you know, it's even more dangerous. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you know, you need to think this sort of thing through. But when you when you think about things like drone delivery services, for instance, um, all of those things that in, increase the uh, convenience of living in those areas. Yeah, I could see drone delivery actually that being quite a big opportunity in rural areas where it's obviously much easier to to fly those things compared to the urban areas. So Although I often wonder, you know, would someone just shoot one down and then take the stuff? But <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Amazon's thought of that. The already. first drone that drops on someone's head is uh, going to ruin it for everyone, isn't it? So every creative leaves the cities. What happens to our cities? What are they going to become in the future? Um... I don't know, very dull. <laughs> um, I do like a quote from Simon Cooper in the FT. He wrote a column and said, big cities have become great places for older people to spend their wealth, but not for younger people to generate it. And I think that's a little bit true already, where you think like, cities are places for that are great if you have money. So what are the lessons, what do you think the lessons um, that cities can take from these people who've who've gone out into rural areas and, and in, innovated. I how can that? How can they start to bring some of that back? Um, I think not commercialising every bit of kind of public space. I think what's happening in London that you feel like every there's less um, public spaces where you can just I don't know hang out and meet <laughs> and. Um, I don't know, create a culture of more um, ex where people can kind of explore and experiment concepts. Um, kind of, I don't know, areas, yeah, for experimentation and collaboration where um, that are not so um, driven by commerce. Um, I think that's the main bit. I think that the, 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 the key thing still is that, that everything's become too expensive and too risky to, to try anything new. 
for creatives. One interesting fact, or the, the exhibition, I think, the, I don't know if you're aware of, the Rem Kohlhaas is doing a big exhibition at the Guggenheim and his uh, research office, AMO, um, called Countryside, Future of the World. And I think I when I read that, I was super excited that finally, I mean, they've been researching that area for a long time and working with that, but that this is suddenly in the public realm that, I think the countryside is just a place that's been ignored for a long time. We're so influenced by it and we so there's such a craving for it, but not really people haven't seized opportunities that there are, I think, to transform these places. Well, as someone who is on the cusp of leaving London for the country, I've uh, learned a lot today. So I'd like to thank uh, my guests, Karen Rosencrantz and Stephen Graves. And thank you for listening. Tune in next time for Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available. 